So yeah, we're looking at a difficult question today. Some of you might have been here yesterday. Some of you might be joining the first time today. My name is Claire. I am a Christian. I, I grew up in church when I was younger. And over time, started to have some big questions about my faith. Particularly, is it true? What about all the other religions in the world? How can God exist when the world is so messed up? What about science and faith? Loads of different things, okay? So we're going to be looking at this question today. But I wonder, were you able to get the other one up at all? Yeah? Yesterday, we had a bit of a tech issue, but there were two things I wanted us to do. It was a little bit of role play, actually. So I need two volunteers. You don't have to come out here. You just need to read from the screen when it comes up. Why it's so important that if you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian, don't worry, you're very much welcome here to think through this question with us today. But if you are a Christian, it's really important to have responses for why you believe the things that you do. So we're going to just look at two little role plays where somebody doesn't have a response and where the conversation goes, and actually where somebody does have something to say when they're asked a difficult question about their faith. So, um, okay, I think it's crashed for the moment. But I can, So who's our volunteers? We've got two scripts. So we have you two. Anybody else want to volunteer? Is the roles are for a boy and girl, if a boy and girl wants to read? Okay, we'll do two. Okay, great. Brilliant. So, aha. So we need someone to be Ava, we need someone to be Joshua. <laughs> so you guys are going to be Ava and Joshua, yeah? So read that out for us, please. Okay. So who is the Christian in this conversation here? Joshua, okay, and Ava isn't. Has Joshua said anything, has Joshua been true to what he believes as a Christian? Has he in that conversation? Yeah. Has he kind of affected anything that Ava believes? Has he given Ava any challenge about what she believes at all? Yes or no? Who votes yes, that he's given Ava something to think about? One person. Who thinks he could do a little bit more to challenge Ava? Right, yeah. So he said, you know what, I think God is good. And then she's like, mm, good for controlling people. Conversation's finished. Okay. So Joshua has given a clear answer about what he believes. But actually, he hasn't given her something to make her not think that religion is controlling. So let's try this again, you two, my volunteers. Yeah, let's hear this conversation a second time. The next slide, please. Thanks. Cumulative means lots of things come together to make up something, okay? So you build a cumulative case. Keep going, friend. Okay. 
Do you see the difference in this conversation here? Okay, so Ava saying, you went to church, oh, religion is just made up to control people. But then what does Joshua do to respond to that? How did he have a different response to make Ava think? Go for it. give some reasons exactly so she says oh religion is just made up to control people so this person is saying there are four thousand religions in the world possibly more and they're all made to control people that's a very narrow-minded view so joshua says that's not fair all religions say different things so he's giving her some challenge okay and then by the end of it he says look i'm not just a christian because i go to my parents go to church maybe you're an atheist because your parents don't go to church it cuts both ways so we're on a level playing field here, friend. And then he says, when I look at all these different pieces of evidence, that's why I'm a Christian, not just because my parents go to church. Okay? So this is what we need in our conversations. Yes, your parents might take you to church. Yes, you might like the music at church. You might like being of your youth group. But there are good reasons to believe that Christianity is actually true. And it doesn't mean we have to be horrible to our friends who aren't Christians or people from other religions either. Okay, so we're going to look at this big question today. If we go back to today's slide, please. How can God exist in a world that's so messed up? And because it's quite a tough question, there might be some themes we talk about that are a little bit triggering. So if you feel upset by something we talk about, because we're talking about suffering, okay, then um, we've got team here to support you in that. If you feel a little bit like, oh, this is a bit too much for me, don't be afraid to step out, okay? is, um, sorry, we're going to be thinking about three further little questions, and they are, one, what mess do we see in the world? Can you actually see the screen properly? Do I need to move over? Do you want me to move over to the side? You can't, do you want to move? Yeah? If anybody needs to move to see the screen, do that. Don't worry about that. Three questions. What mess do we see in the world? Number two, if God does not exist, what can we actually say about suffering? And then three, why does Jesus matter? So three questions. So let's get into our first one. What mess do we actually see in the world? And I'm not sure about you, but over particularly the pandemic, I got quite into cooking shows. I like cooking shows. Anybody here like cooking shows? Yeah, Bake Off, MasterChef, My Kitchen Rules, Gordon Ramsay's um, Future uh, Kitchen Nightmares, Great British Menu, Amy Harriet's uh, Caribbean Adventure. And perhaps you're a bit of a baker. Anyone here bake cupcakes and all that kind of stuff? Great. I'm the worst. I'm, I'm good for eating them. I can't actually make them. But I was also over the pandemic, although I love my cooking shows, I also started to see people do some strange things in the kitchen, like making spaghetti hoop cake or cheeseburger casserole or Kentucky Fried Cabbage, yeah? And a lot of the time, these videos got thousands of views, people were watching and then, oh, that's disgusting, but they still like it, watch it and want to keep watching more. The problem with life, though, life is not like that, right? We don't get to be entertained, we don't get to be protected by a screen when it comes to the problem of suffering and the mess that we see in this world. We've got no choice but to be in the mix of it. And over the past few years, a few years, sorry, you know that we've had so many things thrown at us. For instance, what are the ingredients required for this messed up world? The coronavirus pandemic, the war in the Ukraine, 
the growing threat of climate change. Maybe some of you in here are actually climate change activists. I think that's great. What about outcries of racial injustice? The political upheaval, look at our government. Our prime minister's just gone out of power because there's a lack of integrity there. And things about uncertainty about your education. You guys have gone through so much and I really do salute you. The world, we can quite rightly say, is a bit of a mess. And so we don't get to be like those people watching Kentucky Fried Cabbage through a screen and saying, oh, that's horrible, but I'll just press like and get on with my life. You're in the mix of it. How are we supposed to make sense of that? Who is the head chef responsible for the mess in the world? Who is responsible for life's chaotic buffet? And so surely the finger points at God, if he even exists. I'm not taking questions now, we'll take some questions at the end. So because of the tangible suffering that we have in the world, for some people, they conclude there cannot be a loving God, an all-loving God, an all-powerful God, as Christians claim. And this is not a new complaint, okay? If you're thinking about the problem of suffering, we need to get into a long line of people. Over time, over history, many people have asked this same question we're asking today. And a couple of those people are the ancient Greek philosopher called Epicurus, and a Scottish philosopher called David Hume. And they put it like this. If God is unable to prevent evil, then he is not all powerful. If God is not willing to prevent evil, then he is not all good. If God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? So I'm going to paraphrase that. If God can actually stop evil things from happening, if, if he can't stop evil things from happening, then he's not all powerful. But then if God can stop bad things from happening, but he doesn't, that means he doesn't love us enough. But then if, he can't, if he's not all-powerful, and if he's not going to do it, then why does evil exist? If he can do all those things, why does evil exist? And so people say, look, the things we've listed there, climate change, war in the Ukraine, suffering, the coronavirus, all these sorts of bad things that happen is clear enough evidence that God doesn't exist. A loving God doesn't exist. And maybe if you're in here and you're not a Christian today, you might be saying, well, yeah. Clearly, Hume and Epicurus and people who asked this question today, they had it right. And even if we allowed for God to exist, the problem of evil still persists. What kind of God is he? Is he like the mythical Greek gods? I'm sure some of you learned about the mythical gods of the ancient um, um, Greek world, yeah. And they fought each other and they would spill human blood like the god of war, Ares, okay? Or Zeus would zap people. Is God like that? Because the suffering of the world makes sense in light of those kind of gods. Or is he the deist God? Anybody know what a deist is? Or deism is? Anybody know? Deism is the belief that there is a God who created the world back, 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 back in the world, when the world began or the universe began, but now that God just stands back and lets us get on with it. He wound up a watch to start the clock ticking and they don't get involved anymore. So is God like that? Or is God not even a person? Is he not even a he or she not even a she? But rather like an impersonal energy or a force, a vibe out there. What kind of God are we talking about? if God exists in the face of evil. And as a Christian myself, I have faced suffering, okay? Family member of mine is in the hospital right now, suffering, 
and they're very much on my mind even as I stand here talking about this. How am I supposed to make sense of suffering in the world and the idea that there is a good, all-powerful and loving God? How can God exist in a world that's so messed up? So now we're going to move on to question two. If God does not exist, what can we actually say about suffering? So let's imagine we've concluded, look, there's too much suffering in the world for a good God to exist. What can we actually say about suffering? So in his famous book, there's a book called Sapiens, and I saw lots of people, I've seen lots of people on trains and stuff reading this book. The Israeli historian called Yuval Harari, he writes this. He says, humans, us in this room, humans created imagined orders and devised scripts. Homo sapiens, human beings, has no natural rights. Just like spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. So Yuval Harabi is an atheist, and many atheist philosophers will say this too, that the way that we look after each other, the way that we decided um, poor people should get access to, I don't know, government help, or the way that we should treat each other fairly, regardless of the fact that we're from different races or different ethnic backgrounds, we made those rules up. Because naturally, according to atheists like this, Human beings have no natural rights. We imagined the way to treat each other so that society can flourish. He's saying that humans are no more important than any other species. We've imagined ourselves to be that way. Okay? We've come to believe this so that we can flourish as a global community. E over time, our sort of evolutionary processes, we've come to believe that we are important, we should treat each other well. But we're not naturally born with rights. We're not naturally born with a value that makes us want to treat each other. We've pretended this stuff, we have invented it. And he says these ideas are in fact convenient ways for us to keep society from plunging into chaos. But there's something really disturbing about this view here. Does anybody know what it is? Why is this view disturbing? If we decide how we should treat each other, if there is no natural, at the ground, bottom, human right or human value in you, what do you think, sir? People could what, sorry? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is because when bad things happen, when people suffer, we can only get upset about the bad things happening if we say, if we make up the rules and say, yeah, that suffering is bad. Okay? What do I mean? So, for instance, as our friend has said there, let's take, for instance, something really horrible like the Holocaust. Yeah, we know that that was a terrible event that happened in human history. If Yuval Harari is right, that we make up, that we make up systems of value and the way we should treat each other, then can we really tell Hitler you were wrong to treat the Jews that way? Because if you decide to do it, then you can. But this country might not decide to do it, so they might not. What about the transatlantic slave trade? It was written into the law that black people, Africans weren't allowed to be treated the same as their white peers. If there is no 
core human right or dignity in a person and we only choose for that to be the case, what happens when people change their minds? If I was to split this group into two and I said, you guys are in charge and you said, you know what, we want to kick all these guys in this room out. You're in charge. You've made the decision. And then, somewhat, then, and then a few weeks later, you might say, no, no, let's, let's get them all back in. Let's get them all back in. Let's treat them nicely. You could do that. Because at, at the bottom of it is people making up their own minds. So when people suffer, according to this view, we can't actually take suffering seriously. Our moral anger that we have about bad things happening is actually only a learned way of thinking and feeling, okay? Evil is only evil because we say it is, and good is only good because we feel it is. The problem is we can change our minds. And according to this view, there is no basis upon to ask the question, why is the world messed up? Life just is. We choose what matters and we choose what doesn't matter. However, what does Christianity say? This is a quote from Amy Orr-Uming. Some of you might have heard her give some talks. And she's, she asked this question, what is the foundation of human outrage or human anger at evil if life does not have a transcendent source, a God source, and we are nothing more than a collection of atoms that has learned how to think? If all we are as human beings is atoms, okay, that over time we came out of the primordial soup and we emerged, there was no creator, and we've learned how to think, and in learning how to think, we've decided how to treat each other, on what basis do you have to say you have human dignity, you have human dignity, regardless? If God does not exist, where does our sense of human dignity come from? We decide it. But the problem is, we can change our minds. If God does not exist, can we really say that suffering is wrong? When we say, that's not fair, or when we say, they shouldn't be able to get away with that. Anybody hear about Boris Johnson and the parties at, at, um, yeah, at Parliament? Some of us were really upset. When we, as soon as we say that is not fair, they shouldn't be able to get away with that. What we're doing is we're saying that there are some things in the world that are objectively right and some things in the world are, that are objectively wrong. As soon as we say that's not fair, we are saying that thing is wrong and this thing is right. But on Yuval Harari's view, we've just made that stuff up. If God does not exist, we've just made that stuff up. But if nothing, if nothing is at the root of our existence, if nothing created us, if nothing brought us into this world, then where does our sense of something, the idea that we actually have value, where does that come from? Where does that come from? Yuval Harari and others would say that, you know, we've made that intuition over time, over evolution, we've made that up. But actually, what if the fact that we say that is not fair... This suffering is wrong. This pain shouldn't exist in the world. What if that question, what if that complaint is actually pointing us to God? What if that complaint is pointing us to God rather than away from him? Could it be that the very fact that we know that suffering is wrong 
actually points us to the existence and the presence of God rather than the silent absence of a vacant, meaningless universe. Now, remember we talked about Boris Johnson and the fact that he's no longer going to be the Prime Minister very soon. Part of the reason for that is that the things that Boris Johnson said and the things that he did, there was a huge gap. We call that being a bit of a hypocrite. And so people didn't feel they could trust what Boris Johnson said. Now for me, if I'm going to trust somebody, they've got to prove themselves by doing the things that they say they're going to do. So why does Jesus matter? This comes to our third question. Why does Jesus matter? We've found out that on atheism, if God does not exist, we can't really talk about the problem of suffering. Because suffering and bad things that happen to us is just something that we've made up. We've decided that's bad. But if God does exist, and if God does exist in the person of Jesus, why does Jesus actually matter? Well, it's very interesting to me that for someone claiming to be God, Jesus, Jesus had a very humble start in life. He had a shameful seeming end. Listen listen to the life of Jesus. Jesus' parents were refugees, okay? His family was poor. In the accounts of Jesus' life, the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, we know that his parents bought gifts to the place of worship. And because of the type of gifts that they were, those gifts were really cheap. The family was poor. Jesus was a refugee. He belonged to a persecuted ethnic minority group. At the time that Jesus lived, it was the time of the Roman Empire. And the Jews at the time, they were oppressed by the Roman Empire. Refugee, poor, living in an oppressed ethnic group. He grew up in a ghetto, Nazareth. Okay, He shared and taught his message of God. He didn't just talk to people in in the university. Jesus spoke in parables. Anybody heard some of Jesus' parables? You know some of the parables? That was his way of talking in plain, simple language. And more than that, Jesus didn't just keep to his own people. Jesus spoke to people who were on the margins of society. Poor people, disabled people. Women at the time were not given any recognition by the society. Jesus worked and helped women. Criminals, those are the people that Jesus associated with and then Jesus was unjustly accused and he was crucified he was killed on a Roman cross his trial was illegal because it happened at night it shouldn't have happened so Jesus was executed in the most horrific way and actually the very person of Jesus and his life and his death and as Christians believe his resurrection that he came back to life all of that speaks to a God who knows what it's like to suffer. Unlike Boris Johnson, who says, we're for the people, we're going to do this, and everybody needs to get locked down, and everybody needs to stay indoors and we protect people, but I'm going to have a party over here and drink champagne. Jesus' life was filled with suffering. When my dad passed away in 2018, this is before the pandemic, he had several... Um, illnesses. When he passed away, in our culture, so I'm from a Caribbean background, when someone passes away, loads of people come to visit. My dad was a pastor, so we had loads of people visiting. People would come in, maybe drop a card, talk to us, then go. People sent flowers, people sent messages. It was really nice. 
But I remember there was this one couple and they, the woman, she had lost her daughter. Her daughter was 35 and the daughter just came over from work and said, Mama, I've got a headache. She went to bed and she died. She lost her daughter. The man had lost his previous wife. He was a widower. The wife had suffered in bed for two years, long suffering, and then she died. And then a few years later, he remarried this other lady. So these two people knew what it was like to lose somebody close to them. And they came to my house just like everybody else, but they stayed for the entire day. And sometimes we would talk about my dad and have memories, and sometimes they would just sit there in silence with us. But they were with us. I didn't need them. They, they couldn't bring my dad back to life. They couldn't stop making me feel sad, but they were with me in that suffering. I will never forget them. I will, they were my dad's friends. They're not my friends, but they stayed with me for the whole day in my family. That is the God we are talking about when we're talking about Jesus. Not a God who is far away, but a God who has stepped into what it means to be human, suffered just like we do, and actually overcome the greatest suffering, which is death through his resurrection. Why does Jesus matter? Because he's a God who can be trusted with our suffering. In Jesus, we have a God who maintains high standards of fairness and justice, how we should treat each other, but also a God who knows what it is to suffer himself. And a God who promises to end suffering, bring an end to suffering um, in, a, in a time to come. Let me share this poem with you. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou, you, stumbled to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. That is the God we're talking about. A loving, good, and all-powerful God can exist in a world that is full of suffering. Because if God doesn't exist, the pain that we see, the mess that we see, it's just luck of the draw. You can't even complain about it. But if we know that suffering is bad and suffering, sh the world shouldn't be like this. Perhaps that very intuition is pointing us to a good God, a good God who desires for us to live in a world that is good for us and will bring an end to suffering. 